This is Words Matter with Norm Ornstein. Words matter when you can't even spell martial law. And Dr. Kavita Patel. I don't think the public understands enough about how deep this goes. Hello and welcome to Words Matter from the DSR Network. Each week, Norm Ornstein and I will talk about the issues facing our country as we come out of the midterms, what our leaders are saying and doing about them or not doing. Today, we're going to cover a wide variety of topics. We're going to try to hit them fast so that uh, our listeners can get a sense of what's left over in the lame duck Congress. We've talked before, Norm, and hopefully, hopefully you are looking forward to a restful holiday period. But I have to say, I don't want our congressional members to have a restful period because there is a lot to do. So we will just get right into it. And I'll, everybody knows I'm a little bit more oriented to the healthcare topics of du jour. I'll just put at the top of the list the fact that we need to pass a budget, which is exactly why uh, a lame duck Congress actually has a lot of work to do. And in that budget, we need to pass what has been begged for by the Biden administration, billions of dollars in funding for tests, which the Biden administration notably released today in the form of reinvigorating their covidtest.gov free test program. And that's controversial, not because of the testing, because of the fact that they had to dip intake from other funds in order to subsidize it, i.e. lame duck Congress needs to fund it. But we know there's a lot of other very important pieces that must go into this lame duck norm. Tell, tell us what you wish people are doing during this holiday season. Before we do that, I want to sidetrack for a bit based on what you just said, Kavita. And that is that we're clearly having just a major outbreak of COVID in a lot of places. I see this anecdotally. Friends I know and relatives who had never had COVID up to now have gotten it. We know it's happening in a variety of places. And I just want to vent for a minute about the evil and odious Governor DeSantis who announced this week that he is going to try to create a grand jury to investigate people who perpetrated the vaccines. A man who got vaccinated himself, did a bunch of anti-vax stuff, basically hounded and finally uh, hauled into prison his health director who was telling the truth, and now wants to go after people who insisted that Americans get vaccinated Uh, And of course, it's spreading all across the country with more myths, and uh, we can't leave Elon Musk uh, off the hook on this, as in so many other things. But we're going to have another series of problems. And you were just talking on MSNBC about how concomitant with the COVID outbreak is serious strep among kids. We know that there are other ailments that children are getting. And if this lame duck Congress can't fund adequately, not just money for tests, but money so that we don't have another set of horrors where hospitals are filled again in ICUs. And we know that the healthcare workforce is way down because people got destroyed, nurses, doctors, and others by what happened with the first major COVID outbreak. That just punctuates what you said. Yeah, it does. It does. Uh, You don't have to be done. Actually, just in the spirit of I have been reading the 20-page grand jury petition that DeSantis put forward. I just have to read. This is how widespread it is. It would be individuals, persons, and entities, including but not limited to pharmaceutical manufacturers and their executive officers, 
and other medical associations or organizations involved in the design, development, clinical testing or investigation, manufacturing, marketing, representation, advertising, promotion, labeling, distribution, formulation, packing, sale, purchase, donation, dispensing, prescribing, or use of vaccines purported to prevent COVID-19 infection symptoms and transmission. It is basically anybody who uttered the words COVID vaccine. That's which includes myself if I were in the state of Florida. So it's incredible. And this is from somebody who, by the way, has a pedigrees that are incredible. Ivy League law, educated, former military, decorated, and potentially a presidential candidate. It certainly won his election in a sweeping, you know, statewide, so to speak, endorsement. So thank you for doing that. You're right. Double down on it. And Tell me more, Norm, what other topics do you feel like are must-dos in this lame duck? So what we've seen so far since the election, which should have brought this sense of panic and energy to the Democrats in the House and Senate, understanding that the crazies were about to take over the House and nothing good would be accomplished, that we face the possibility of a default of multiple government shutdowns, of money shut off completely for the Justice Department, the Department of Homeland Security, the Centers for Disease Control, even as we head into this winter where we're going to have all kinds of issues, and we know other pandemics are going to be down the road, and I didn't see any sense of urgency. Now, there's a you know set of issues here. Admittedly, it's not just that they're, oh, what's the hell, business as usual. It is that to accomplish anything other than through a reconciliation process still requires 60 senators. And the Democrats' margin in the House is down one because of an unfortunate death of a representative from Virginia. But even so, all they've been able to do, here we are a month plus after the election, and effectively, although they've gotten some judges done, I'll give them credit for that in the Senate. All they've been able to do is kick the can down the road to December 23rd to avoid an immediate government shutdown over the holidays. And of course, they want to get out on December 23rd. It's another one of these end games. And then if they're lucky, they'll be able to do an omnibus continuing resolution that may carry us into next fall, not for the two years that we have to worry about the uh, House Republicans. And it's not clear when they get to that omnibus what will be included and what won't. What we also know is Kevin McCarthy clinging desperately to the hope that he will have enough members to make him speaker, although for who knows how long, has said, no, you shouldn't do any of this. The overwhelming majority of their members, all but nine, voted against the stopgap that would have shut down the government immediately if it had failed. And we know a bunch of right-wing senators are complaining about doing a fix that will even carry us that far. We have that as a critical issue. Now, along with that, we know that we're still not out of the woods when it comes to 2024. We desperately need a major reform of the Electoral Count Act to prevent what happened on January 6th from becoming a reality in 2024. The Majority Leader Chuck Schumer hopefully said that they will attach that reform to the omnibus appropriation, assuming it can get done on December 23rd. 
or even on December 24th. But if they can't, we're in for a long winter as it is. And frankly, the other things that we would hope would get done, one heartening thing, Kavita, uh, strangely enough, we talked last week about Kirsten Cinema, but Kristen Cinema and Republican Tom Tillis of North Carolina came up with a pretty constructive immigration bill that would protect the dreamers and do some other things. It's so late in the game, though, that to imagine that getting through the House and Senate now is to have a vivid imagination. And what we know is that if it waits till next year, more than likely we have the same thing that happened when we had the last comprehensive immigration bill, passed the Senate with 75 votes, and then the Republicans in the House killed it. And you know the Republicans in this House will kill it too. Oh, absolutely. And let me uh, just kind of expand and touch on the Reforming Electoral Count Act, because it is one of those things that not only has Chuck Schumer, but both House and Senate have passed their own versions of the reforms already on the House side. It was Liz Cheney, Zoe Lofgren from California. And it was basically in a very not so different version. Susan Collins and Joe Manchin had put out their version, including, you know, 14 Republicans were co-sponsors. I mean, basically the support from GOP senators was is alone itself to overcome a filibuster. So it seems like a no-brainer. But all, again, here you're going to have like uh, Democrats are probably going to have to swallow the Senate version if they want to actually see this get done. And by the way, now that we've seen DeSantis look like he's throwing his hat in the ring or getting ready to do that, and we've already got Donald Trump's announcement, it puts a sense of urgency to getting this done. Just all the more, it's it's an incredibly important time. And so, Norm, talk through, so a couple, there, there are a lot of other things. That we, I failed to mention Ukraine. I mean, there's funding and there's things that have already been done, by the way, to protect same-sex marriages, a version of the rail strike, which we've spoken about on this podcast. So there have been these like areas and efforts that we have somewhat been able to tackle outside of this lame duck session, but it's really what you said, the government funding play out. I will say that I think they are going to do another CR. This just feels like one of those, okay, we'll just kick it down the curb just a little bit longer into January. What do you see playing out? And especially how, how could the new Congress and the new constitution of characters underscored make a difference in what that lame duck look what is no longer lame duck but needs to be a picked up CR budget an actual budget that needs to pass so my nightmare scenario is that we get to December 23rd and instead of being able to do an omnibus that even takes us through to next September that they just do another temporary one that takes us through say the middle of January And then I think we face the almost inevitability of a government shutdown. We know that House Republicans with a majority are going to have a series of demands on spending. That includes, by the way, uh, uh, what they hope to attach to an appropriations bill, which is a rule that they want to implement at the beginning of the new Congress that would enable them to withhold the salaries of individual government employees so they could punish. Mayorkas and uh, Garland and others. Uh, It's a nightmare. Things that uh, simply will not be acceptable more generally. And we'll get a rolling shutdown. Aid for Ukraine becomes deeply endangered at that point. I think they cut off most of the funding for the CDC. 
what DeSantis is doing is going to inflame the anti-vaxxers and uh, conspiracy theorists, and that includes two-thirds of the House Republicans even more, and you know a lot of disruption that would follow. Now, there's another possibility, which is that you could incorporate many of these things in a reconciliation bill that, as we know, only takes 50 votes. Remember, that we only have the 50 until January 3rd. And remember that we still have the issues of Kirsten Cinema and Joe Manchin. And uh, there's something lurking in the background, what I'm hearing from many people. Maya McGinnis, who heads the Center for a Responsible Federal Budget, with whom I have clashed in the past because she gave Paul Ryan a complete pass in 2011 when we were dealing with the Simpson-Bowles Commission on taxes. And basically, you know, in this desperate desire to show that they were bipartisan, made sure that nothing happened with no consequences. But now she wants another Simpson-Bowles Commission, which would be a terrible idea right now. And Mansion and Cinema, she has their ear. So we've got an issue there. We also know that Joe Manchin who had thought he was going to get permitting for energy pipelines in West Virginia, failed on that front in a vote. It had to be a separate vote uh, in the Senate, and it failed. And he is wanting some action on that before he'll go along with any of these other things. So getting 50 votes for reconciliation is not anywhere close to a sure thing. And that includes, one would hope, dealing with the debt ceiling. So you know, Talk if we about the debt deal. ceiling more uh, a little bit, because I don't think most people understand what's at stake with the debt ceiling. So, of course, the little bit of background here is that we are the only significant country in the world that doesn't automatically raise its debt ceiling when you actually have spending and taxing go forward. We require separately that every time you bump up against that artificial ceiling, you have to add to it and raise that ceiling. It's never been easy because obviously it's a political football. The party that has the presidency is faced with the task of making it happen. The party out of the presidency always tries to say, uh, you're just uh, being irresponsible. But we've always worked it out before. Every Each party knows that this is kind of a, a game. Except in 2011, where the Tea Party people, egged on by, I should say, Kevin McCarthy and the former Republican leader, uh, Eric Cantor, almost put us over the cliff. In the process, it got close enough, saved by John Boehner and Mitch McConnell, that our bond rating was downgraded and it cost taxpayers at least $18 billion in additional interest payments. That's without anything happening. If you default, uh, you know, people can understand this in their own terms. Imagine if you default on your mortgage. Chaos and tragedy ensue. Your credit rating disappears. You can't borrow money again. You'll lose your house. And you may have difficulty even finding an apartment because you don't have credit. We rely on the full faith and credit of the United States. People who buy dollars, countries that have dollars do that as well. A default would shake up the global economy and perhaps put us into a global depression. And each time this has happened, we just sort of raise it for another six months or another year. We will 
bump up against the debt ceiling by the spring of next year. And if we don't raise it, House Republicans are likely to demand dramatic cuts in Social Security, Medicare, and Medicaid, probably uh, demand that they stop the investigations of Trump and his allies, that uh, uh, demand the resignations of Merrick Garland and Alejandro Mayorkas, among others. Uh, We would see some terrible things that will not be uh, demands met, and we could end up in a default. The ideal thing to do is to just take it off the table. The best way to do that is to have the president be able to unilaterally raise the debt ceiling via his treasury secretary. Congress can pass a joint resolution blocking it. He can veto that. So it would happen and it, it wouldn't. the burden would be on the president. We would take this issue, which has become a hostage over and over, off the table. But they're not going to be able to do that unless they're certain they have 50 votes and a parliamentarian willing to go along. And right now they don't. If you're like me, you're probably a bit frustrated with the state of our political system today. So why does American democracy look the way it does? And how can we make it more responsive to the people it was formed to serve? Democracy Decoded is a podcast by the Campaign Legal Center. It examines our government and discusses innovative ideas that could lead to a stronger, more transparent, accountable, and inclusive democracy. In season two, host Simone Leeper covers everything you need to know about voting in the United States. She speaks with experts from across the country and voters representing impacted communities about the deliberate barriers to voting that exist today. She asks, how can we make our voting system more inclusive? Because our democracy works best when every voter can participate. Listen to the latest season at democracydecoded.org or wherever you get your podcasts. Norm, I want to pick up on not just kind of the disaster that could unfold, but probably people do not understand that uh, there's also some of this back channel horse trading going on. Democrats want to keep the expired child tax credit enhancement on the table. Republicans seeking a deal themselves want to revive a a business tax benefit as well as some other expansions on retirement savings incentives. That sounds like it should be the kind of thing that can get you bipartisan agreement. And as you mentioned, there are a lot of people that even Republicans and Democrats that would like to see that done. But if you want to play this out and stall it, you can. You can do this through having that budget process, which deals with just the budget, and then invoking a process to create something along the lines of passing those, you know, let's call it a dozen standalone bills. But then you've got packages of unrelated legislation, like you said, that have to get Frankenstein stitched together and just delay everything into a new Congress. And I'm hearing from Republicans that they have already, on the House caucus side, already been kind of discussing like the strategies of delaying and going through the merits on both sides, as well as trying to understand what should we ask to carve out and even on electoral reform which Democrats and Republicans really want, do we use that as a way to kind of wedge some of these topics in? But it's a, I think that uh, it's safe to say that this could be a scenario where the biggest sacrifice that Congress will have to make is during the holidays and getting some sleep. But I think that's a small price to pay if it can keep our country on steady footing. I, I think you would agree, Norm. Well, I certainly agree. And I just hope that 
you know, even if they uh, are unable to reach an agreement by December 23rd and people need to travel home for Christmas, that they'll understand if it can't be done, that they've got to come back on the 26th and be there until noon on January the 3rd. If not, they're really playing with fire when it comes to the future of the country. Before we go to our members section, I want one more rant, uh, Kavita. In uh, a newsletter I get from Semaphore, another one of these new sites covering politics and other things, and also from Politico's playbook, both had this frame that Kevin McCarthy was trying to enlist, quote, moderate, unquote, Republicans in his fight against the so-called, quote, conservatives, unquote. And this is a common journalistic meme. It is all about putting into a normal frame what is abnormality, because the reality is there are no moderate Republicans. If we think of moderate, either in terms of uh, voting records, willingness to support the institution, desire to find bipartisan solutions, they don't exist. Conservatives, some of the ones that they're trying to call moderates are conservatives in the old sense, namely people who really do believe in conservative policies. The ones they call conservatives are radical extremists. When you have more than two-thirds of the House Republicans who are still election deniers, you are not either moderate or conservative if you deny the results of the election. And of course, many of them supported the insurrection. And what it does is to normalize a political party that is not normal, and it gives them a pass. And that's partly why we got into the terrible stew that we're in right now that we have just been talking about. To your point you've made before, it would be better if media would cover this aspect of how I don't think the public understands enough about how deep this goes, why even a lame duck Congress has so many implications uh, in all parts of our lives. So with that, let's go ahead and wrap up this section of our podcast and continue the chat for members only on Mark Meadows and what's surfaced in texts and emails of of late. But before we go, I wanted to thank our listeners for listening to us, especially during this busy time, as Norm pointed out with the viral outbreaks, I'll stress uh, to mask up, test up, and do not be afraid to constantly be washing your hands because all of those things are fine to do and staying safe and healthy. But on top of that, we'd love for you to tell your friends about the podcast and rate and review. And for a special episode during the holidays for the December 22nd, we would love to have anybody ask grab bag questions. You can tag both Norm Ornstein or myself on Twitter or at DSR Network or any of the social media access points for DSR Network and for Words Matter. And with that, thank you and have a great holiday.